Time now for another Thrash by Radio podcast. I celebrate the legendary pure rock years of Southern California's heavy metal flagship station, KNAC-FM. I'm a proud veteran of that station, proud to say that I worked there for a great bit of that time. Um, let's see. Greg Steele, our interviews continue here. Um, you have to understand, here is Greg, pretty young guy uh, at the time, and uh, taken on a job in a big, big town. He had come from San Diego, and he'd come from a programming job in, in uh, he said, North Dakota, I think, if you can imagine that. And, um, you know, you, he's about to get involved in the, in the dogfight of his life. So the, one of the most important things that he could possibly do is get his air staff together, people that he's been listening to and, you know, pretty much admired and may have been at some in some degree uh, in awe of people like Ton Mastery. Ton was big. Ton was uh, and big nationally. Um, didn't have a morning show at the time, like he said, but he was about to make all of that happen. So I asked him to recall some incidences um, in, in those initial experiences. And one of them, I'd heard the story from Mike Stark, my pal in here, the king of radio show broadcasters and producers. And I'd heard from Long Paul, and I think I'd heard from uh, Jack Trash and some other people about how this particular first staff meeting went. Now, when I brought it up, I actually, I don't know that I surprised Greg, but he got a kick out of being asked. <laughs> you laugh. What, what happened? Yeah. Um, you know, I remember, I feel like we were at, uh, so the radio complex was in a sort of a uh, ground floor of an office building in downtown Long Beach. I can't remember if we were at one of the restaurants or somewhere, like, I had went to Mexico the weekend prior to my first day or whatever. And I found like a, it was like a pinata, but it was a coconut. And it was a, it was a head and it was, had a pirate painted on it with a eye patch and other shit. And I was like, well, this is interesting. So I bought this coconut and there was a sledgehammer that we had in the office. And I can't remember what that was for. It was probably for some band and we put stickers on it and stuff. And, so, you know, I wanted to make a statement and I didn't want to go overboard. You know, I didn't want to fly helicopters and drop fucking, or pardon the language, drop a, drop a bunch of stuff down that would, you know, make an impression. I was like, more like, look, it's just going to be us and a coconut and it's going to be us and we're the sledgehammer. And so I was trying to demonstrate that we were going to break this pirate head with a coconut and the building came by and we're were unhappy with us because the way that the building was built, because it was a tall building and it was on rollers because of the, the hurricane nature of the structure, we're pounding this sledgehammer to hit this coconut, and it's making you know it, it's making the, the thin layer of concrete like susceptible to possible like rolling. People think there's a hur uh, an earthquake, so so we kind of got ushered out, uh, but that was. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that is what I'm talking about. But what um, what I thought was smart about it was, and it might not have been your intention then, but I think it was, is that it got everybody in that air staff, on that air staff, to know and focus that pirate radio was who we're after. Yeah. Not just everybody, you know, not everyone at large, 
yeah, not the market at large, but pirate radio. I thought that was yeah, real were, smart. Well, they were the ones that were going to take our lunch money. You know, KLOS wasn't going to take our lunch money. Pirate wanted to take everybody's lunch money, but you know, there was there was no chance that KLOS was going to take our lunch money. If they were going to do anything, they'd react and try to take money out of out of out of uh, pirate. But pirate's going to impact this more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting, though, Craig, you know, really, they never really did shake our core audience. Now, what do you attribute that to? I think that the demands that were placed on them were a little too broad. They wanted to take our low end, but they really, really wanted the high end. Hmm. And the high end meant, you know, getting back at at what uh, KLOS was doing. And KLOS was still pretty dominant. I mean, even after you leaving the Mark and Bryant show, that show still had, you know, years worth of legs on it, you know. Um and so you always want to know that you've got a radio station that has, you know, pretty long legs. And and, and to, to Kalos' credit, they did react a little bit and toughened up their approach. Um, they ended up ironically hiring, um, uh, I think, Ken Anthony uh, to be the program director. Um, and he had been at Kiss in San Antonio, which is where Jimmy Christopher came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, you know, it was like, well... They want to toughen up their approach a little bit, and and they did. KLOS did, but I don't I don't think K Rock. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't think K Rock had had found their way yet. Uh, they were still being, and again, another piece of irony. They were programmed by Andy Schoen, and Andy Schoen was a good rock programmer, but K Rock had been successful mostly by non playing, not playing guitar music, just playing um, mostly synth music, which was really big in the late '80s, early '90s. So. Uh, when Andy eventually left and he went to MTV, um, they brought in a pop guy from San Diego, Kevin Weatherly. Kevin Weatherly had been at Q106, pop station in San Diego. Basically, he took alternative music with guitars and rotated them like you would rotate um, pop records and turned the alternative format upside down to the day to this day that Kevin Weatherly still viewed as the the, the smartest thing that ever happened to the alternative radio format, but it took a while for them to get real traction. Um, I remember sitting with their music director who followed Andy to uh, MTV, a guy named um, Louis Largent, really nice guy. Um, but I was like, I was him at some events, and I was like, you really should be playing this Nirvana record. I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know how to tell you that we're beating you on, you know, Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Nirvana. You know, when you think about it, like, if those were supposedly alternative records, they were not embraced by K-Rock. Hmm. So K-Rock hadn't evolved yet to what, you know, it had eventually would become when Kevin, you know, got in and, and really made his you know, made his format work. Um, but in the meantime, I mean, Pirate would focus on us, and then they'd focus on us on KLOS. And they'd focus on us, and they didn't have one target. And they mm-hmm. didn't have one true direction. They were, you know, they were trying to walk the animal from both ends of it. And, you know, it's it's tough to move forward when, when you're doing that. And, and you get weaker because when we're pinging at their ankles, they're looking at us, and then KLOS comes and gives them a whack. And, you know, so it was, it was fortunate for us that, that they chose a path that they hadn't quite decided on. I think they thought that they would just be able to wipe out the little pea shooter in, in Long Beach. Uh, right. I, um, I, I, I agree with that thought. Also, and just from my own experience, and, uh, you know, granted, I was uh, just about in the hospital when I was there without right. really knowing it. So 
Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't performing well. I wasn't thinking well, nothing. But I can tell you that I observed a great deal of, of you know, just non, just not focus in the building. They, you know, uh, Bob Moore would come in and change things in, in one fell swoop in one day. Um, and Carrie was, I think, sort of the victim of that. Well, let me ask let me ask you about that if you don't mind. Mm. When you saw that, did did you see them thinking that they had an easier path to wipe us out and it wasn't happening fast enough? And so like were they changing their target on a daily basis or were they changing the target because they're like, Man, we didn't expect that we would still have to be t- competing with these guys. No, they were they changed it was actually willy nilly. I, I didn't see any direction to it at all. I think they, they believed that K and A C would it would uh, go away on its own. And so therefore they'd uh, you know, give it a little whack every now and then and then turn their big guns back to the people with a hundred thousand watt sticks. So right. I, I really think that's how they looked at it. And also, I, uh, to be honest, I, you know, I, I don't know that um, the people, well, Nancy Leiter was the sales manager. I thought she was very bright, and I actually thought she should be running the place. But yeah, it well, was, she eventually did. I think when the, I, I think Bubbles got the got the whack. Bubbles so. got the whack. Yeah, he went over to Metro or something like that and messed that up entirely. But uh, that's, you know, Tammy Schrader worked for him over there. You remember Tammy? Sure. And uh, at any rate, yeah, Bob would come in and, uh, and say, you know, uh, something stupid, like we should be playing so-and-so. And, you know, I could see Carrie just thinking, well, shit, I, I, I guess I got to do that. Or, um, you know, we're going to change our whole color scheme. We're, this black and blue stuff, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to become purple and orange like the Lakers. You know, that, that kind of thing. And just boom, right off the top of the head. And, uh, well, anyway, so, uh, you know, there was no focus to any of it. That's what I saw. And that that's right. what when when and if you and I ever butted heads about how to go after them, it was that you maintained the street posture and you were absolutely right about that. 100% right about that. But I wanted to go I wanted to go in there and throw a grenade in the, <laughs> in, the in the headquarters. You know, I wanted to be a little bit more which was wasn't necessary ultimately. But um, anyway, so I, I well, would have I would have added that that kind of terrorist tactics. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, clear, clearly, you know, our our biggest issue was like, how do we mean relevant? And and you know, we've done we've done enough to keep our fans happy. You know, as long as as long as we think that pirates failing enough, then they're not going to be a problem for us. But our our problem is still going to be generating revenue. You know, there will yeah. always be a problem when you have a, a bad signal. Right. And you know, any any small victories that Pirate can get, you know, still has the ability to take a little bit of audience away from us. And, you know, the reality is is that in a ratings world, you can't afford to lose any little bit of audience. And so we had to always worry about that, you know. So we wanted to be street, but, you know, we had to keep an eye on the, on the other prize, too, even though we knew that we, you know, we were very, very limited. I think... I think we barely got over a one once, and we were down to a point yeah. five. Or we averaged a point eight or a right. one one, or you know, like we never. Monsters of Rock eighty eight, I think, was the peak ratings period I for so. the radio station. It was like one five or one mm-hmm. six, so it never really. And that was, I mean, and those numbers are huge for that radio station. Yeah, they are. They're interesting. We had a bonus structure then, Greg, um, for for air staff, and. Um, I think after we hit the one five and everybody got some money, then they eliminated the well, bonus structure. <laughs> well, they sure as hell did. 
it, it didn't last very long. And, you know, I, we weren't talking about, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, you know. We were talking about, oh, I don't know. Well, it went from a couple of hundred bucks in a bonus to, uh, to uh, you know, getting to go raid the prize closet every now and then and get some In-N-Out burger, you know, uh, gimmies, that kind of crap, and free T-shirts from... You know, some god-awful, you know, promotion somewhere that you couldn't get rid of the T-shirts. Oh, you guys can have those. Oh, and uh, hey, maybe I got a, you know, we got a coupon here for 10 bucks off on a Thanksgiving turkey. How about that? There's your bonus (laughs) thrash pie. Jeez. Yeah, no money? Yeah, no kidding. That was exactly what our major problem was. All right. Insightful, no? Yes, seen. Uh, I'll have more from Greg Steele's interview in this series of Thrash Pie Radio podcasts. So as always, I welcome your comments and your correspondence, or really of, of any kind, and it's at thrashpieradio at gmail.com. Do hit me up there. And uh, give us a like and a share. Keep your eye on your Facebook page for the next Thrash Pie Radio podcast.